December 30th, and it is the end of the year, and I am not one who normally does, um, I'm not one who normally does New Year's resolutions and, and that kind of thing, but I have been, this year, been doing some reflecting. Um, one of the things that I have to do as a pastor is, um, at the end of February, I have to put together what's called the pastor's annual report. And it is statistics and blah, 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 blah. But I'm also asked to, to write up a one-page report that I then give orally at the district assembly. And they ask me to, to talk about something that was significant, but maybe, maybe a little bit out of the ordinary and a little bit, a little bit special. Um, it could be anything, but they're just asking an anecdote of some sort. Well, when you sit down at the end of February and try to review 12 months of happenings to come up with one instant, it's very difficult. So what I've done is a number of months ago, I bought a little, just a little journal. It's a day-by-day journal. It's, it doesn't have a lot of space for it, but it's just for me to just jot down at the end of each day. You know, anything that might have happened that day that might have been significant that eventually might end up in my annual report. And um, I was reflecting yesterday, this is the end of the year, how am I doing, what are things going on in my world? I got a nice little journal that's sitting there with maybe seven to ten entries in it because I keep forgetting to write anything down because it's not a habit yet. And so that, that has been a bust. Now, does that mean I'm going to stop? No, because it is something I have to do. So I just have to refocus, come up with a way to remind myself to jog my memory, to pull that out on a regular basis and write down things. Um, then I was reflecting on the fact that in about a month, I'm supposed to be contacted, or sometime in the month of January, I'm supposed to be contacted by the cardiology clinic um, over at Porter Heart Center because it's time for my annual checkup with the cardiologist. Um, they called me back in December, but I wanted to see a specific doctor, and they said, well, his books are full until blah, 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 and I said, well, I'll wait. So um, they're supposed to be calling me sometime in January once the books are open, and I'll see this guy in February. Well, one of the goals that the cardiologist set for me last year was that he said, I want you to lose 30 pounds, and I was faithful to try my best to lose 30 pounds, and I had lost about three. But the reality is, I, I, wasn't un, I wasn't not trying, but I was not successful. And so, I'm, I am discouraged, but that doesn't mean I'm stopping and I'm going to give up. No, it just means I have to come up with a way that works better for me this year. Because I can't just not do what the doctor has asked me to do, because part of why they're asking me to do this is they finally diagnosed what was going on with my heart. If you guys remember, I have been hospitalized a number of times because of heart issues, but they could never figure out what's going on. Well, they finally figured out what's going on, and I have a diagnosis, finally. My diagnosis is I have paroxysmal atrial fibrillation. What does that mean? That means every so often, for short periods of time, my heart flutters uncontrollably and out of normal rhythm. It doesn't happen regularly. It doesn't happen on a, any type of scheduled basis. And it doesn't happen for any particular length of time. It can go on for 30 seconds. It can go on for three minutes. It can go on for two days. And the only way to cure it is to lose weight. That's what he said, the, the cardiologist. He said, he said, you can live with this the rest of your life. 
It'll probably be the thing that kills you. But if you lose the weight, it'll probably be, it'll probably be lessened or even go away. But there's nothing medically we can do for you. You have to lose the weight. Well, that was an eye-opening thing for me last year. I mean, in, in 2017, when I saw the cardiologist. And so I, I was determined and I, I had been faithful to not eat all the junk and to, I drink a soda maybe once a week if I drink it that much. And what I do is I drink maybe half a bottle because I'm not buying the soda for the sake of buying the soda. I buy the soda so that I can go down to the store every Tuesday afternoon and visit with the clerk. And every single Tuesday afternoon after food distribution, I buy a soda and I buy an ice cream bar and I sit down and I visit with the clerk there because she's on, on duty every single Tuesday. And I come in, she says, you're here for your soda? I said, I most certainly am. Because my intent is that I'm trying to develop a relationship with her. Now, so I haven't given up soda, but I, I drink a soda maybe once a week and I never finish the stupid thing. But I can't say I've given up completely. But I've tried to modify my life. I've tried to be more proactive. I've, I have not been successful this year. Another thing in my, my reflection, I had a goal in 2014, 2015, I think it was, that by the end of 2018, we would be debt-free. <sighs> Not successful. I'm closer than I was. We've been very faithful. We're almost there. Maybe by the end of 2019, we might be. But some things happened that were beyond our control. And the end result was we had to spend money on time. We had to borrow money in order to make uh, to meet what happened. Um, that being the case... Again, should I get despondent and frustrated and beat myself up? You're a bad person, you're a bad person, you're a bad person. Here, you're supposed to lose weight for your health and you didn't. You're supposed to get out of debt and you didn't. You're supposed to, you're supposed to, you're supposed to, and you didn't, and you didn't, and you didn't. I'm old enough now and I'm wise enough now and I'm mature enough now that I don't beat myself up over that stuff. But I don't just ignore it. I look at it and I say, okay... So what is the next year going to look like to the best of my ability? And that's where I'm at right now. A, a, a scripture came into my mind as I was thinking about that. And I will tell you that from 1978-ish, 1978-79, until just a couple of years ago, I used the New International Version of the Bible, translation of the Bible. I've just in the last few years been using the English Standard Version of the Bible. And so my brain is messed up because I have these Bible verses memorized that I've used for years and years and years and years and now I can't find them because I'm using a different translation. But there was this verse that just kept ringing in my mind as I was thinking about renewal, what am I going to do this year, how am I going to live my life? And I couldn't even get the full verse. But there was this phrase, the continuing debt of love. The continuing debt of love. And I finally couldn't find it, because again, I'm using the English Standard Version. So I pulled out um, my iPad and pulled up, um, and I just pulled up on, on, online, and I just typed in the continuing debt of love, and Bible Gateway pulled up, and it gave me Romans chapter 13, um, and the NIV. I was like, well, duh, that's why, because the NIV. But let's look at Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 and following. 
We're only going to read 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. As I was preparing this sermon, uh, listening to different sermons, uh, reading, just reflecting, somebody said that the word eros is not ever used in the New Testament. Eros is the, the Greek word that represents physical love, sexual love. The word philia is only used once in the New Testament. That means brotherly love or friendship. And the word agape, agapeo, means, which is unconditional love, it is the love of God. It's what's used throughout the New Testament. Well, I didn't believe that. I wanted to prove it for myself, so I pulled out my Strong's and I looked, and every word that we see, every time we see the word love here in chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, it is the word agape. This unconditional, selfless God love. Um, and as I reflected on this, this, well, somebody, does anybody have the New International Version handy and out that you could just read out? What? Go ahead and read verse 8. 13.8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continual debt to love one another. That's a powerful statement. Keep your life in order. Don't allow, um, don't allow yourself to be to be um, uh, uh, what's the word um, incarcerated to be held captive. That's the word held captive to debtor to debt. You know, don't don't live a life where you're always having to pay interest on something. Don't live your life in that way. But at the same time, always live. With an understanding that you have a continuing debt to love one another. Think about that for just a second. Think about the fact that you're being asked by the Bible, by Paul who wrote this section of the Bible, to consider it an obligation that you should love. It's an ought to. If you look up the word ought, it's a sense of having to fulfill a contractual obligation. Having to, 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 to meet an expectation. And this idea of a continual debt means I can never get out from underneath it. Where did this come from? How, how do you have a never able to get out from under it debt, obligation to show love? To whom am I obligated? That leads us back to where we've been studying in 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 is what we're going to be looking at this morning. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And before we go there, let me. Let, there is one other thing I wanted to walk back. I, I, I've wrestled with how I wanted to do this. Romans chapter 13 
is actually a restatement, if you will. It's Paul's restatement of Jesus' own teaching. Jesus' own teaching is found in Mark chapter 12 and Matthew 22. Mark chapter 12 is the one that I like better because it's, it's richer, it's fuller. And what it says is this. Jesus was confronted by a teacher of the law and the teacher of the law comes up to him and says, So, master teacher, tell us, what is the greatest commandment? What is the most significant commandment of all the commandments God has ever given us? And Jesus quotes the Shema, which is out of Leviticus chapter 6. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with soul, with all of your strength. <clears throat> and the second greatest commandment is like unto it, you shall have to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the teacher's dumbfounded and he stands back and he says, wow. He said, you've got it right. And Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom of heaven. And what I, what I reflected on again, and you, this is old teaching, you've heard this before from me, and if you haven't heard it from me, you've heard it from other preachers. Um, this idea of loving God and loving others is it literally, it's a commandment of God. Why? Well, if you go all the way back to the time of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 20, we, show, we are shown the list of the Ten Commandments. Now, don't turn to Exodus 20 with your electronic devices yet, because you'd be cheating. What I want you to do is, if you can, I want you, without looking, to name the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. Say it loud. I can't hear you. Married, what were you saying? Hold on. Okay, no other God, no graven image. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath, that's four. Honor your father and mother, that's five. Do not commit murder, but yes. I'm sorry? Do not steal. Do not covet. No adultery. No false witness or lying, okay? Now, the first four. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods but me. Do, uh, what was the other? Don't take, don't profane or take the name of the Lord in vain. Do not make any graven images and honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. These four are the God part. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself is honor your parents, don't lie, don't commit murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, and don't covet. All of these things, by loving God and loving your neighbor, complete all of the commandments. That's what Jesus taught. That's why the scribe, the teacher of the law, was dumbfounded. Because he thought he was going to trip him up. And the reality was, if you do the Ten Commandments, you're loving. And that's where the obligation comes. To have a continual debt of love. Maybe. Because <laughs> it's still, it's a commandment. So where's the obligation part come? Where, where is my ownness coming into all of this? Okay? Yes, God has commanded that I love God and love my neighbor. 
But where is my owing to this? And this is what we find in 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And again, remember, the word love here is the agape love, the unconditional, selfless, not self-seeking love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, there are three specific parts to this that jumped out at me as I reflected on this. Number one, God is love. This idea of agape, this idea of selflessness, this idea of being willing to sacrifice one's own self for the betterment of someone else. God is love. It's as if you're saying, you see God, you see love, you see love, you see God. But it's an understanding that it's this type of love that is willing to hurt its own self in order to love. Because we see the next part of this is God, um, excuse me, in this love was made manifest to us. We see the love of God manifest to us because God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. What is this reflecting back on? This is talking back or looking back on the fact that in the fall of man, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve violated the one commandment that they had, they literally rendered themselves incapable of ever getting right with God again. They broke, they damaged the Imago Dei. They, they, their willfulness, their selfishness broke their righteousness. And the end result is they could never make it right again. And the only way for it to be made right was for someone else to offer themselves on behalf of the others. And God knew that and God saw that and God said, yes, my love for humanity is great enough that I am willing to make that sacrifice. I want to show my love to them by sending my son into the world so that they could live through him. But it's not just the fact that God became incarnate. Because if that's all it took, Jesus didn't have to die. It says more, more than just the fact that God sent his son into the world that we could live. It is in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is a horrible word and I don't know why... They use it. It's so hard to understand, so hard to say, so hard to read. But basically what it means, it is that thing 
which satisfies the legal requirement. The law said there must be death. If there is sin, willful sin, then blood must be shed. That was what the law said. God himself said it when he did the covenant with Abraham. When God established a relationship with Abraham, God had Abraham sacrifice animals and lay them out on a little little hillside or whatever that has a slight valley. And it said that the blood ran through the valley. And it said that God walked through that blood path and said, let it be unto me if either one of us ever violate this covenant that I'm making with you. So even back in Genesis, we see the, 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 the foreshadowing of this idea of this love that God demonstrates for us by sending his only son to be the propitiation, the thing that makes right that which went wrong. God said, if either one of us violate this covenant, I'll pay the penalty. And he did. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The fact that God willingly, selflessly gave of himself so that we might have relationship again. So that we might have life again. So that we could enter into the presence of God without fear. So that we can know when we die from this time on this earth, we will go to be with the Father. We will not be rejected. All of that is wrapped up in the incarnation of Christ. But it's more than just the incarnation of Christ. It's the death and the resurrection of Christ which has brought about this propitiation, this writing, this, this forgiveness, this cleansing that is ours, that we could not do for ourselves. And is that reason that we owe a debt of love. So when Paul says in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, be in debt to no one except for the continuing debt to love one another, it goes right back to this part in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 and 11 that says, because of this sacrifice of God, we ought to love. And so for me, as I'm settling in my last month, I mean hours of the year, and reflecting and thinking about resolutions, and again, I don't do resolutions. But as I'm thinking about my life and how I want to live my life and what I want to do, one of the things that has been part of who I am as a person and as a Christian for 40 plus years is that I want to live my life in such a way that the people of this community see my good works and glorify my Father which is in heaven. And the way that I can do that is love. And if I have to bring it down to the basics, it means I don't lie to them, I don't cheat them, I don't steal from them, I don't murder them, I don't have adultery, and I don't covet, covet anything that they've got. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. Because if all I had to do was do that checklist, I could go to bed at night and know that I hadn't sinned. But the reality is that I truly love selflessly, just because I didn't do those things against somebody else. I truly think that it's more than just that. Selfless agape love, as demonstrated by my Father who gave His only begotten Son, is that I should be daily seeking ways to give of myself sacrificially to the people in my community, to my neighbors, 
And quite honestly, once a week going to the food bank and dropping it off at the community center and saying, I love my neighbors, ain't enough for me. It's just not. I don't have a plan yet. I don't. But for me, I feel this calling, this drawing, this wooing of God that I've got to get much, much more involved with showing love to the people of my community. Does that mean I drive up and down the road praying that God will give me somebody and I go stop at their house and say, how can I help you? I don't know. If that's what God asked me to do, I'll do it. Does that mean that I sit in the store and watch for people that are hurting? I don't know. But I know that I'm being called to something more than just feeding the hungry people of my community. I know that. There's a, there's a book that was written over a hundred years ago, or right at a hundred years ago. It's called In His Steps by Charles Sheldon. And it was a popular book back in the 80s and early 90s. And everyone wore their little rubber bracelet and said, what would Jesus do? Okay, that's where that came from. That book was written about a hundred years ago, and the whole story, the whole premise of the story is a pastor in a small community challenged all of the people in the community to say to themselves, what would Jesus do in this situation? How would Jesus act in this situation? How should I respond? And it was a transformational thing. If you ever have a chance to read the book, it's a great book. Unfortunately, it became a, a commercial and marketed thing in the 90s so that the Christian bookstores could have a nice display and sell little rubber bands that you wore on your bracelet. I mean, where it wore as a bracelet. But as I reflected, as I have reflected over the last few days, that's where I'm at right now. What would Jesus do? Jesus would do selfless acts of love. Jesus would give beyond what would be expected. Jesus would be intentional. Jesus would never intentionally cause harm. Jesus would never beat up somebody. And I don't mean physically. But I have a tendency, I have, I have the potential for cutting people deeply with my words. I have the ability, I've done it. I've had to be careful not to do it. So, as, as I'm reflecting and saying, how would I love in the way that Christ loved? If that's what I'm being called to do this year, how can I love in the way that Christ loved with an understanding that it is, it is a debt that I have? It's not just me setting a resolution that I may or may not complete by the end of the year. This is an ongoing debt that I cannot get out of. Why? Because the price that was paid for my redemption was too great for me to ever be able to pay it back. But I have an onus and ought to, to God Almighty, to love. So how? What do I do? And that's where the reflection has to come in. That's where I have to spend time in the Word of God. That's where I have to spend time listening to the Holy Spirit of God. That's where I have to be reflecting in my little daily journal, saying, did I show the love of Christ today? And if so, how? So that at the end of the year, or the end of the calendar church year, I will have the little anecdote that I need to share with the district and general superintendent because I'll have, I'll have lived it, number one, and number two, I'll have been intentional about recording it and being, paying attention to the fact that I'm doing it. Instead of trying to beat my brains up and what did I do this year? Was there anything this year that I did? 
I'll have so much to choose from, it'll be, that'll be what's the time-consuming thing. Now, translate that into your own life. Do you, right now, can you say, Pastor, I've been doing that for years. That's how I live my life. Or, are you like me, being called to do way more than you've ever done? Are you being pushed by the Holy Spirit of God through the words that I'm speaking to know that the, the debt of love is so great that you could never repay it, but you have not been faithful to even try to repay it this year? And what needs to change? Let's pray.